and welcome back to the Wayfair Weekend Podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? Us. Appreciate you stopping by this weekend. I am so excited. On the show today, Ron L. Deal, best-selling author with his ninth book coming out and popular speaker on the subjects of remarriage and blended families has stopped by, and I am so pumped to share our conversation with you. Before we get started with that conversation, a couple of housekeeping notes. Chapter Day Journey wraps up Mark on Monday, and then we'll wade into one of my favorite books. What a perfect timing coming out of all the insanity of the past year and the intense emotions we've all had to grapple with. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's like striving against the wind. We're going to dive into the ancient wisdom and musings of the Hebrew sage and author of Ecclesiastes. So join me for that starting on Tuesday of this next week. As far as messages go, I continue to have people ask me where they can find my messages. If you go to TomVanderwell.com, just click on the word messages and it will take you to a page with all of my messages, both on YouTube and some of them are audio. For my Pella peeps that are in the area, you can click on upcoming messages uh, May 23rd, 9.15 in the auditorium at Third Church, talking about kingdom economy, God and mammon. And then June 27th, I get called up to the show to pitch in relief in the sanctuary. That'll be 8 o'clock, 9.15 and 11. And that week is scheduled to talk about the economy of rest and the Sabbath, which I'm excited to talk about. So that's what's coming up. Thanks for joining me again today. On this Wayfarer weekend, I welcome Ron Deal. Welcome back to the Wayfarer podcast. Tom Vanderwell here. I am so excited today to have as my guest Ron L. Deal, who works for Family Life down in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's written books like The Smart Step Family and The Smart Step family marriage, and he works specifically in the area of helping marriages and families that are blended. And Ron, thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. Well, man, it's an honor to be a part of this. In part, I have to tell your listeners right off the bat, because you and I basically grew up together. (laughs) We did. And that's also why I'm really excited about this is that um, in fact, I was just thinking about, I have very distinct memories. We were in the same neighborhood. We went to the same elementary, middle yep. school, high school. I have memories of being in your basement um, <laughs> and hanging out at your house. That's awesome. We're playing a, ping pong or pool or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we go way back and we reconnected uh, just briefly at our you know, our high school reunion just Mm -hmm. here a couple of years ago, and you and Nan have been doing such great things. And I just, I wanted to have a conversation about what God's been doing in you. Yeah, well, I was just really pleased when I heard from you. Um, You know, it's funny, I was trying to think before we the call today, do I have any school memories that don't include Tom Vanderwell? And I don't think I do. I I mean, (laughs) 
we were in the same grade all the way through elementary, junior high, high school. Uh, you were always one of those smart guys that I looked up to and thought, hey, man, he's got it going on. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, I don't know, good times. Um, it seems so far away. I don't know. How old are we now? I <laughs> uh, know, too old. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, tell me how... So, number one, I didn't know that you were a PK back in the day, a preacher's kid. Mm. Um, I don't know how that escaped me, or maybe I was just deaf, dumb, and blind, but um, I didn't know that. And so, when I found out, you know, what you were doing, especially with Family Life Ministries and working with with families, um, how did how did you end up on this path? Yeah. Well, it's like a lot of things that we experience in life. It wasn't necessarily the path that I had set out for myself or had dreamed about or determined. Um, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's a journey for a lot of people in blended families. Like you kind of wake up one day and you go, how did I get here? And now what do we do? And for me, that's sort of been my professional work. I right out of college, I became a youth pastor. And I did that for about five years and I really loved it. Um, what I learned is that I didn't understand enough about their families to really understand how mm. to help, help kids and teenagers. And so went back to school, got a degree, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. I didn't want to be a therapist the full time. I just wanted that skill set to be able to help people in local communities and in, in church ministries that I was a part of. But I, really what I wanted to do is do prevention and enrichment and education. I wanted to help marriages last. I wanted to help parents do a better job mm. raising their kids. And I was, Nan and I were starting our family and I wanted to know how to be a good dad myself. So, you know, so all of that was the dream. But while I was in graduate school, I had this incredible class that changed my life. It, it was called non-traditional family therapy. And it was all about working with single parent families and step families. Now, this is back in the early 1990s when I was in school then. And that course taught me how to think about blended families. And it really helped me connect the dots. All the teenagers I had worked with, I was like, oh, now I got it. Now I understand why that kid did this, why that kid did that, mm -hmm. why they reacted this way. And so all of a sudden, I really wanted to just be accessible to families in order to create homes where children could grow up and, and you know, become adults, you know, just bless their lives. And so it set me on this path of trying to figure out how to do step family education, not just counseling, but education and, and enrichment. And that was it. It was just a thought. It was just one of many things I wanted to do. Marriage ed, family, parent training, work with single parent families, then work with blended families. But what happened is I kind of was on the front end of creating what is today called step family ministry. And I didn't realize it, but I figured out a few things, stumbled my way into some wisdom and started talking about it and speaking at conferences whenever I get a chance. And over the course of a period of time, it became my life. Everybody was like, wow. oh, we want to know about this. Then I wrote a book. Now book number nine comes out here in about three months. So it's just become this area of focus for me that has really been a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. I get to help blended families turn on the lights and come out of the dark and go, yeah. oh, oh, that's what this is about. That's why this dynamic, oh, okay. And this is what we can do about it. Okay, good, let's go. 
And I love that. Yeah. So let, let me start here because I, I love what you said, that this was not the the trajectory that you thought. And of course, I don't think that anybody does. And having come also from you know, sort of the evangelical Christian background, everybody's mm-hmm. talking about, everybody's talking about prevention. Everybody's talking about making a solid marriage. Everybody's talking about how to divorce proof your marriage. Mm-hmm. But it, my own experience and, let me just back up real quick. So I was married 17 years, two children went through a divorce that I, you know, like everybody else swore would never happen. Um, Remarried uh, to Wendy who has never been married. So now she's stepmom of two Mm -hmm. and we are a blended family. And as, as somebody who's been through that, my experience has been that like once you get to that point there's there's a bit of a sense like well you blew it mm. now there's nothing for you mm. <laughs> there's, yeah there the there are precious few resources and precious few sort of um places where you can go and receive some love and grace and help from this point forward mm-hmm Yes. I mean, have you felt that? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely the story. Um, You know, the big complaint, and I have good news, you know, really for people who are listening that maybe feel that. First of all, let me back up and say in the early 1990s, when I was really getting started in this area, there were very few resources for step families and they were hard to find. And the message that you kind of got from that is, wow. Uh, we are on our own and we're invisible and nobody really sees us or cares. And I'm very pleased to say that's not true anymore. There's tons of resources. There's organizations that are out trying to do a job. I'm, you know, currently working with the largest blended family ministry in the world actually. And so, I mean, that's not saying a lot, but there are tools out there. There are groups you can be a part of. You can get connected to a broader tribe of people who are walking this same journey. And, I mean, we're putting out podcasts to a month, uh, nine books, three or four video curriculum that are available. We do. We just did a live stream event we do every spring with people from 47 states and 19 foreign countries participating on one day. Uh, it, it's There is a community out there and there are resources to empower the journey. You're not alone anymore. Absolutely. And that's so encouraging. So let's step back and say, okay, I, you know, I find myself in this place that I never thought I would be. Mm-hmm. What are, from your experience, um, and let's, you know, let's start with the, that second marriage mm-hmm. um, or more, third marriage, fourth marriage, whatever it is. What are the most common things that you find people are, addressing and struggling with yeah. as they get into that all right i've already failed one time or more i want to really make this work yeah so first of all the shame that you're talking about there um i failed i want to make this work carries with it i think a huge expectation for the new marriage and family and it's sort of if i could put words on it it might sound something like this okay this marriage is my chance to fix or repair what has been lost. 
and and this beautiful woman I'm going to meet or this gorgeous guy, you know, they're going to step in and they're going to fill the void of the partner that's gone. And my kids will again have a mother and um, will be a family. And that's a really awesome dream. It's a big dream. And actually, it's kind of too much of a dream to put on the blended family. And unfortunately, what that does is creates these expectations of how things are going to go. And then when it doesn't go as smoothly or as rapidly, you know, that coming together thing, building familyness, as I like to call it, when that doesn't happen as quickly as you want, then, then again, well, guess what? Shame is right there going up, see, still a failure. Uh, you couldn't make it work again. And, and all of a sudden the pressure goes up. So, you know, every marriage, every marriage, a first marriage, 10th marriage, whatever it is, you know, has some transitional strife that takes place and couples got to figure some things out and solidify that relationship. That's in the best scenario. Well, when that happens in a blended family marriage and you had such high hopes for how this thing was going to go, instead of you seeing it as, oh yeah, this is the normal strife that happens. You go, oh no, I made a mistake. Oh no, my kids are going to get, oh, what, an angry step-parent now? What have I done? And now the shame overwhelms and people run for the hills. I mean, either emotionally, they may stay in the marriage, but they still detach. They, you know, trust becomes really difficult and, and arduous. And, mm. and so you stop risking, you know, you stop giving yourself in, in, in love and sacrifice and kindness and you start withholding. And even though you're withholding a little, it still adds up to something. It adds up to we're not we're, we're not really a family yet. It's, you can see how that spirals in negative ways. Yeah. And and the, the the thing I want to tell people, I mean, we're quick to tell people this: you're not repairing what has been lost. You're creating something totally new. It's the hey, it's the difference between life before a pandemic <laughs> and, <laughs> and life during a pandemic. You're still the same person, but you can't live life the way you did before. You're restricted. Right. You, you're held back. You, I'm still working out of my home office. I'm there right at this moment. I've been doing it for 14, 15 months. Life is not what it used to be. But guess what? That doesn't mean everything's horrible and we're never going to see the light of day. It just means this is a different world than the before the pandemic, when couples enter the blended family going, I'm not giving my kids a new mom. I'm giving them a stepmom or become a blended family, not a biological family. There's going to be some uniquenesses going on in our family. I may have one or two of my kids that doesn't even want to. It's not that they don't like my new spouse. It's just that they don't need her right. like they need a mom. And, and I can be okay with that. Now, Tom, that sounds really bizarre to say out loud because people go, well, that's a failure. We're not a family. No, you are a family. You're just a family in the middle of a pandemic. And there's certain mm -hmm. things that go differently if you're not in a pandemic. You're in a blended family. Give it time. Don't panic. Trust that eventually this child and your spouse will figure some things out and they will move toward each other. And it may take years, not months or weeks but you can get there. So I hear a couple of, uh, I hear a couple of things in what you're saying that one of them being, you know, we, I, you know, I have another friend who's a family marriage therapist and he always talks about the pixie dust 
of newlyweds. And when we're all young and we get married and we have this pixie dust of what we think the, the fairy tale marriage is going to be. And all of a sudden we found out that it's not that. And I hear you saying <laughs> that even in that second marriage or beyond, we there's a certain amount that that paradigm continues. We have this sort of fairy tale pixie dust with which we want to believe this is going to be it. And tell me about, in your experience, when does that begin to fade and all of a sudden we're struck with the reality of, oh, this is what I was expecting? You know, the research is pretty clear on this. On average, for step families, it happens pretty quickly. I would say okay. with, within six months for most, definitely by the second year, people are definitely feeling it. But often it happens overnight. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody give me the story of, wow, we went on our honeymoon and I came home and there was a child in my living room. Like inst <laughs> instant, like uh, literally two weeks ago, I had a woman say to me, we went on our honeymoon and um, woke, came home the next day and there was the, ch and I'd forgotten that his children were not going to leave the house. Like instantly I'm a mother figure trying to navigate this territory and figure it out. And here's the, here's the really insidious thing about dating before you form a blended family. Most couples date sort of disconnected from the children. Like, you know, most right. of the time the kids are coming along for, for the journey a little bit. Sometimes people, here, I want to introduce you to my girlfriend. We're getting engaged tomorrow and we're going to get married in a month. Like it, it often gets rushed on kids, honestly. Yes. And so, but even in the best case scenario, hey, I really like dad's girlfriend. She's awesome. She's fun. She takes me out. We went shopping. We did that thing. Um, but now she's living in my house. Now she's telling me to clean my room. Now um, I feel guilty liking her because I don't want my mom to think that I love my stepmom more than I love my mom. So now I'm unpacking all of this. Yes. And the relationship dynamic has changed. It's, I didn't see this coming. The parent didn't see this coming. The step-parent didn't see this coming. And wham, we got to figure this out. Oh, I totally agree and, and get that. Because, I mean, the, the kid portion of it just adds this layer of complexity. Mm -hmm. And especially when you have such if you have very stark personality differences between mm -hmm. mom and stepmom which uh, which we do in our situation um you know as wendy and i have looked back with the the 2020 lens and said what would we do differently we totally would have taken more time included the girls more done more work together before mm -hmm. the wedding, before the commitment, before the, it, it created all sorts of conflicts that we had to walk through later in the journey. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my new book comes out in September. It's called Preparing to Blend. It's actually for engaged couples who are moving towards a wedding. And how do you not just get ready for a wedding. It's not just about coupleness. That's the thing that's deceiving. People think I've fallen in love. I've met the love of my life. Great. That's a couple. But in order to be a blended family, you have to learn how to be a family. And those are two totally different things. Yeah. Um, and so the book tries to help 
raise people's awareness, but gives them practical exercises, things they can do to help include the kids so that you begin to co-create a, a sense of family identity. And here's a great illustration that everybody's got to figure out at some point in time in their blended family journey. And that is, what am I going to call you? <laughs> what am I going to introduce right. you at? Like the terms of endearment, do we use those? Do we not use those? Are you um, my mom? Are you my stepmom? Are you Mama Deuce? Are you Wendy mom? Are you Mom Wendy? Are you whatever? Yeah. You know, it, 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 see, it's really not about the term. It's about can you and I figure out where to put each other in our hearts? We're talking with Ron L. Deal, who focuses on blended marriages and blended families and also uh, a friend I grew up with all the way since childhood. And Ron, we were talking about, you know, the complication that comes when you you re-enter marriage, but now you've got these children who complicate things mm -hmm. because they add a whole nother layer and a whole nother dimension of relationship that a lot of people don't factor in when when they go down the aisle a second or third time. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you got to figure out how to not just be a couple, but you got to be a family. And everybody has an opinion about what that means and what it looks like. So kids have an opinion about what the step-parent's role is. Um, the step-parent has an opinion about their role and the biological parent has an opinion about their role. And by the way, if the other biological parent is still living, they have an opinion about what the step-parent should be doing and should not be doing. And so you know, there's a collision there of ideas and concepts and agendas. When I say agendas, let me clarify that. Like adults are moving toward kids. They're, they want familyness. They want people to feel comfortable and safe with one another. Kids are somewhere, you know, less motivated in the beginning than that. Sometimes there's children who are moving towards the step-parent faster than the step-parent's moving toward them. But more often the case is kids are just sort of, yeah, I can take it or leave it. Uh, yeah, you know, I like having you around. I love the fact that you do my laundry for me and cook dinner for me. <laughs> but gosh, don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me to clean my room and don't be an authority, like a parent yeah. authority. Like you, you don't have that place in my heart. And, and so there's just a different agenda and definition of the relationship. Well, and I, it can also, I mean, we're talking in generalities and because generalities do, there are general rules that, that definitely apply, but then you also get into very specific personality types mm -hmm. and temperaments. So I know for, for our daughters, you know, going from a mother who's an Enneagram two and very sweet mm -hmm. and sort of conflict avoidant to a stepmother who's an Enneagram eight and a challenger. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just going to hit this head on and tell you exactly what I think. And we're going to work this out. Um, that paradigm change was, was awful mm -hmm. to, to try and navigate yeah. for all yeah. parties. Yeah. And, you know, the biological parent, that'd be you. You know, here's the classic thing that happens with bio parents. Hey, I love my kids. I love my spouse. I just want you guys to love each other. But for some reason, you're having a hard time with that. And I am totally in the middle because I am reading for both sides. 
Yes. But each side's coming to me going, well, you know, why don't you help or tell them what they need to know? And like, now I'm the go-between. Well, that's not going to work because it's going to, if you go to your wife and speak on behalf of your children, it may feel, might, might not, but it may feel to her like you're taking their side. Sure. And it's like, wait a minute, are, are you more married to me or to your kids? And let me tell you, Tom, that is a fundamental question that has to be answered. And here's the thing. People want to put it into easy categories as God first, then your spouse, then your children. Okay. <laughs> On paper. Sure. I, I got it. But at the end of the day, you're deeply committed to your kids. You love them like crazy. You do anything for them. They've already been through some crap in life. Right. And you don't, and you don't want them to go through anymore. Which so you, you want put to, them through. Right. So there's already a sense of guilt. about. There is guilt. And so you want to protect. And so that means sort of, sort of advocating for them but at the same time that moves you away from your spouse who feels like an outsider already and now they really feel like oh i'm not even important to you i knew i wasn't quite important to your kids but now i feel like i'm not important to you okay so here's the deal it is a both and it's not either or it is a both and but what that looks like in life is a, a, a biological parent first of all being committed to their spouse and saying to the kids, look, this new marriage is important. I'm a lifer. Uh, this is till death do we part. So you just need to know that some things are going to change. Like I'm still committed to you guys. We're still going to go get ice cream on Fridays after school. Like you still have me. I'm your biggest fan. That hadn't changed a bit, but um, on Saturday night, I'm going on a date with her and you don't get to come. And uh, we're going to have coffee. She and I on a regular basis, you know, just throughout the week. And that means I'm a little less available to you. And every mm -hmm. once in a while, you're going to ask me, dad, can I go down to so-and-so's house? And the, the answer for years as a single parent, I just gave you an answer, said yes. Just want you to know, now I'm going to actually talk to my wife. We're going to make sure our schedules are coordinated. There's, make sure I, there's something I don't know. I'm going to bring her into that decision because she's my partner now. And that's a part of it. And, and so some things are going to change. I'll get back to you with an answer. And this is where your kids go, holy crap. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, did I lose yeah. my dad? Did I lose my dad? And you go, yes. no, you didn't lose your dad. I'm here. Ice cream, Friday afternoons, you and me. That's it. You know? Yes. But yes, some things have changed. And, and so marriage means something. It's not just a fly-by-night new relationship that dad, it is a lifelong commitment and my allegiance is there and I love you and I'm your biggest fan and nothing's going to change that. It's so sticky in, in the walking it out, but that's the challenge you're trying to, to navigate. Absolutely. So if I can just give um, a little bit of a confession, because one of the things that I look I realized in retrospect, in, in the long, slow decline of my first marriage, what happened is that the emotional lack, the emotional emptiness that I felt in marriage, I began to um, fill mm -hmm. with an emotional relationship with, with my kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, I'm not, 
really excited or happy with my marriage. So I'm going to invest. I'm going to spend time with the kids. I'm going to be really emotionally invested with my daughters. Yeah. And so I, I, I really think that I didn't realize what I was doing in that I was sort of creating this, this really high emotional sort of need and reciprocal relationship with them that then when I met their stepmom and said, Hey, this is, man, I just really feel this is where God is leading. And I found a woman that I can spend the rest of my life with. All of a sudden they felt like I just cut and run. Yeah. And I can only imagine the emotional depletion that they must've felt when everything shifted from my time, energy and resources invested in them to this woman they don't even know. Yeah, and that just adds to the guilt factor, right? Then you feel when, when things kind of begin to unwind a little bit, you feel even more responsible for what they're going through. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. See, Tom, you've hit on something that's really important. And what I'm about to say is a hard truth for people to hear, especially biological parents. But I think it's an important truth because of what it leads you to do as a result. All right, so here's the truth. Um, kids do commonly feel some loss when their parent marries again. It depends on their age and how, how where they are and how close they were to their biological parent before, you know, that parent married again. What, there's a lot of factors there, but by and large, kids do feel a loss. Marriage is a gain for the adults. It's another loss for the kids. And that's a hard reality because your hope is as a parent, especially is you want to bring good things to your kids. You're trying to repair, to fix, to replace right. what has been lost, not create more sadness. But here's the thing I want you to hear. It creates sadness and another loss of a kind that requires an adjustment of children. And it does take some time. So research suggests it actually takes kids longer to adjust to a parent's remarriage than it does to adjust to their parents' divorce. Okay. So it is a significant change. And here's the and. Over time, they can move through that and begin to incorporate and see the gains that are found in the new family and the result of the relationships that develop. But that is a test of time. One of the things that's true about blended families is, you know, they take on average somewhere between four or five to seven years to really find their fit, to find their familiness, to find where it's comfortable and people have some expectation of the relationships and there's some definition to that. Now, when I say that, a lot of people go, oh, dear God, what does that mean? You know, I mean, we're in year one. We, we got six more years. Like, well, you know, yeah, you got a journey and that's ahead of you. And that's the good news. It feels like bad news. But the good news is you now know what's taking place and you're not crazy. And there are some things you can do. Don't try to rush it. Be slow. You know, we, we, I say take a crockpot approach. You you cook a family in a crock pot, not in a blender. You don't just force everybody into relationship in a blender. Like you, you gradually over time, the ingredients begin to warm up, soften and connect. That's what happens in a crock pot. So when you yep. take that approach, you find that you're making more progress and there's rewards and it starts to taste good. You know, if you start yep. eating, if you throw food in a crock pot and come back 20 minutes later and start eating, yuck that's just not good at all and uh, the meat's not done somebody's going to get sick if you come back seven hours later it's delicious 
right? You're get you're 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 on a journey to find delicious. Yes. So be well, and then if you if your kids are in, you know, their teen years, and within that four to seven year period, they're off to college. Yeah. <laughs> that, that then all of a sudden he's like pulling the ingredient out of the crock pot. It's exactly right. And uh, every other weekend, some ingredients hop out and go to another crock pot where they're trying to bond with other new ingredients in that crock pot. So yeah. there are a lot of factors going on here. It is a complex mixture. Um, and again, this is why I say you haven't reproduced or re- repaired what was lost before the death or the divorce of the, of the family. You're now creating a new family. It's got to have its own life. And you've got to see it as such and work with it as such and be patient with yourself and the process. Right. One of the things that Wendy and I have talked about as we contemplate the journey that we've been on is the fact that between the two of us, her as a single um, woman who waited a long time to get married mm-hmm. and me mm-hmm. as a uh, divorced man who got married very young and, and had been married before is that by the time we got into our marriage together, each of us had done a lot of our own work individually mm-hmm. to figure ourselves out, to deal with our shortcomings, to deal with our blind spots. We spent a lot of time in therapy. So we we felt like we came into the marriage as sort of with these tools and equipped to make a really solid go of this marriage. And do I, and do I hear a butt we coming? <laughs> well, hear? well, here's my question. How often do people jump from one field marriage to another, hoping that just, rolling the dice and changing the -hmm. ingredients is going to make a difference when the reality is that if you don't do the work and figure out what you contributed to the failure of the first marriage, you're going to find yourself right back dealing with the same stuff. Yes. I think most people do jump. They think the best resolution of a failed relationship is a new relationship. (laughs) And that whole rebound relationship thing is a reality and it doesn't work. It, it, it just um, postpones your grief and your sadness. And by the way, it derails your children's grief journey because now they're having to deal with more change and transition in their life and most of it unwanted and untimely. And so it's even kind of jumbled it up for them even more. That doesn't help when kids are trying to figure out how to bond with a step-parent, step-parents trying to figure out their place in the home. It just makes it harder, candidly. So, you know, good to you guys. Kudos for doing your emotional work. Um, The thing I would just tag onto that is, again, that's wonderful because it puts the two of you more in a place where you're more healthy and able to lead your family through this process of becoming uh, a family to one another. Just because the adults are healthy doesn't mean that the step family journey is going to necessarily be quicker. Oh, amen. Or faster. Like all those other dynamics still are at play. Former spouse, children, grief journeys, et cetera. Um, You still have a lot of step stuff, as I like to call it, to figure out. I I just want to jump in here and say to anybody who's listening, 
you know, sometimes people go, wow, this, this, I just didn't know this, this much of a journey and there's going to be some challenges. Yeah. But man, the rewards can really be amazing. I, you know, I've seen the God of the second chances payoffs for people just be amazing. They, maybe they did have a horrible first marriage and the second one's fantastic. Like you want to talk about emotional trust and safety and stability and the blessing that brings to their children. There's lots of rewards in this thing. Yeah. You, you just have to be committed to that journey. I also want to say something to anybody who maybe has been through the death of a spouse. You know, here's one caution for somebody. Imagine if you're married for 25 years to the same person and you raised your kids and most of them are out of the home, some of them still tagging on or whatever. And, and, and then your spouse dies and you want what you had. And see the difference with somebody who comes into blended family post divorce is that they're often looking for somebody very different from what they had, yeah. <laughs> a different sort of relationship, a different person. But somebody who comes in post widowed is often looking for the same thing. They mm. like what they have. They, they, they very much want that. And, you know, sometimes you can sort of find it, but it's your relationship still going to have a different color to it. You know, I, I say Great. yellow and green makes blue. Well, if you're yellow and blue, <laughs> blue, you know, green passed away and now yellow marries orange or marries red. <laughs> guess what? Your usness, your marriage is orange. It's not blue. It's, it's a very different color and you, you know, you're never going to have the same. So again, you have to say, what do we have? How do we work with what we've created instead of trying to force fit it into some mold from the past? I love that. And I, and I'm so thankful that you've gone this direction with the conversation because, um, because there is hope there is Mm -hmm. a second chance. There are good things. So let's, let's, and our time together, Ron, by talking about um, about the hope and how we grab onto that. So as you think about, everyone, tell me about, um, you know, some success stories. Uh, yeah. You've got to have a lot of them in your career. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking of a couple right now that, um, well, he had two children with two other women prior to marrying his getting married for the first time. So his first wife, by the way, he didn't really know about those other two children until he got married. And then lo and behold, the past. What do you know? (laughs) And he's got two kids. He's got two child support payments to make. Now he's got a strained relationship with those kids. Meanwhile, he's married to a woman and they start having their own children. So it's a yours and ours sort of family. And, you know, the hours kids hardly even know the children from the other women. It, it, there's just some stress and strain there. And we're, we're financially obligated, but the kids never come over and that's a difficulty. And um, boy, that former, uh, the mother, you know, the baby mama drama thing just is uh, alive and well. And yeah. You know, okay. So there's challenges. And yet this couple, <laughs> they're involved in community groups. They lead other people. They're now, teaching and helping to um, equip people to help other blended families. And it's because they've taken what they experienced and what they've learned and now they're living it out and pouring it out. I mean, to me, that's just super cool stuff. Like the world is a better place. 
because of that. And and by the way, there's strength in their relationships, and there's a renewed commit uh, connection with his oldest child, who's sort of been distant, but they're beginning to figure it out. That kid's already in college. You know, it, there's always a little bit of something you're working on, but that's life. Yes. And you always. just keep going, right? I'm thinking about a couple who married later in life. They both had wonderful first marriages. Both their first spouses died, one of heart attack, one of cancer. Married later in life. All their kids are adults. A lot of people assume because the kids are adults, they're, they're going to be fine with this. Well, guess what? They still have transitions. They still have an identity crisis. They still want to go home for Christmas and have everything just the same as when they were six. And now it's not because not only is dad married, there's a new person here. And she has decorations that are different and her kids come over and <laughs> I don't feel like I'm at home. And so guess what? The whole family, three generations have to adjust to this new marriage yes. and figure out their place. But after about seven years, they've figured out routines. They've figured out how to do Christmas and birthdays and holidays. And they actually look forward to the other side showing up and being a part of that because they've wrestled through it. And now they're finding that there's joy and blessing. And the grandkids don't know the step-grandparents as anything other than grandma. Like, <laughs> it, to them, yeah. it's just grandma, right? There's no politics. There's no past. It's just grandma. Like, those are the blessings that you get when you stick with it. And generation after generation is, is uh, blessed because of it. Ugh, God is a God of redemption, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And yes, and I can mm-hmm. say the same thing, you know, for us, I would tell you that, you know, you said four to seven years, and I would say that that in our experience that I think that that's generally true, but I would say that there were some things that took 10, 12 mm-hmm. years yeah. to yeah. really come to a head and work through, but uh, I mean, in such a good place now. Yeah. And um, that reminds so, me, uh, that reminds me of a quick story I'll share with you. So uh, this woman attended one of my conference events in the year 2000 in Houston. Um, 17 years later, she comes to another event and, and I take her aside. I say, how are you guys doing? By the way, she was there because she and her husband now lead this educational ministry to other couples. They had brought five couples with them. So they're pouring into other people, right? And I say, how are you guys doing? She tells me the story. She said, you know, the, my stepdaughter, who was 13, I think when they married, I've had the most struggle with over the years, been the most challenging relationship. Just a few months ago, she came to me at the age of 29 or something and said, hey, can I call you mom? Like, those are the <laughs> moments. Those are the oh, moments, right, that you go, yes. okay, this crockpot thing is still cooking. It's still doing its work slowly but surely we're redeeming and what i would say to people listening last thought okay that's the 17 year payoff but what about today like you may be in the throes of it going okay there's about eight things i can identify that are not going well with my family today well here's one of the mistakes people make is because there's eight things you neglect the one that's good maybe you've got two or three hard relationships in your home but you've got one that's solid okay you know what enjoy that one. Take that mm-hmm. moment. Um, the kids are coming over for the weekend. You want everything to be perfect and it's not. And somehow things fall apart. Well, but did you have a few hours where things were okay? I, I'm not being Pollyanna. I'm not trying to say, forget about what's not 
going well. I'm saying enjoy what you do have while you continue to work on what you don't necessarily feel good about. But don't forget to enjoy what you have. I think people often it's all or nothing. Well, that's yeah. not that's not life. That's not life. Enjoy that piece. It's good. Hang on to that. Keep working on what needs to improve. Yeah. We came home on Saturday and there was a bouquet of flowers waiting mm. for Wendy uh, for Mother's Day. And, I can't, you know, it was just such a wonderful, sweet, powerful moment because it's 15 years in the making and mm. yeah. it represents it re- represents the, you know, the reward of sticking with it and the struggle and continuing to try and love well and be gracious and forgiving and pressing on in relationship, even through the tough times, because you get there and it's a beautiful thing. That's great. Absolutely. Ron, thank you so much. Tell tell my listeners, where can they find you? Where do they find your resources? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a podcast, uh, all kinds of things available, books, resources, videos online. Um, I work with a couple of different organizations, Family Life being one of them. You mentioned that if they just come to my personal website, you that's a portal. You're going to find everything I'm connected to, whether it be virtual classes or whether it be conference events or an organization. So rondeal.org, rondeal.org. That's the place to go. Awesome. Hey, love to your wife, Nan, and Mm. your family. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Yeah, this has been fun, man. And I hope to meet Wendy someday. (laughs) We'll make it happen. Okay. Will you come back and do this again sometime? Oh, man, I'd love to. I'd love to. All right. We'll make it happen. Okay. Oh, a big thanks to Ron Deal for being on the podcast today. So kind of him to take the time uh, to talk to us. Again, join me for Chapter Day podcast each weekday, finishing up Mark on Monday and then jumping into Ecclesiastes. As always, you have permission to share this podcast or any of my posts with anyone, anywhere. Have at it. I'm also excited to announce that next weekend on the Wayfair Weekend podcast, my guest is going to be Andy Bales, CEO of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles, a man who works in the poorest neighborhoods of the United States. We're going to talk to Andy about his work for the kingdom on Skid Row. Join me for that next weekend. I would like to leave you with this blessing, and I hope you receive it. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Thank you.